Hey, well, good morning again, everybody. So Kelly Morrow, our director of student ministries, uh, I got this thing in my eye. Um, she was doing a Bible study with the senior high girls uh, a couple months ago over the book of Jude. And one of the themes that came across uh, in this book study of Jude was discerning truth from lie, dis discerning the truth. How do, we, how do we discern the truth? Today it seems like truth is relative. Uh, it can be shaped by whoever is presenting the truth. Maybe you've heard, well, this is my truth, okay? This is your truth. This is my truth. Um, but this could perhaps could actually be true. Someone's perspective could actually be truth. Their experience could actually be true, but truth um, cannot be open to interpretation because truth can never change. So let me give you an example. There are no round squares, okay? Circle is a circle. Square is a square. You change the lines, you manipulate the lines to form something uh, from a square, and it stops being a square. I can make it into a circle, but then again, it can't be a square anymore. Well, then if you put them together, you get an octagon, right? It's a completely different shape, right? So just getting a little ahead of you. How do we discern the truth from lies? That's what we're going to be looking at today. I've been hearing from many of you uh, in our congregation and conversations I've been having with people outside our church uh, looking and struggling with what to believe these days. Uh, how deadly is this coronavirus? What is systematic racism? Uh, is American history accurate? Are, are we, have we been told the American history or have we been told lies? Is the government better run by Democrats or Republicans, right? We are, we are trying to figure out what exactly is true around us. We have been inundated with all kinds of information and sometimes it's very difficult to sift through what is true. In fact, we say fake news all the time. And the best part about fake news is that sometimes when we're watching it, we don't know that it's fake. A couple years ago, uh, Kim Jong-un was named uh, Sexiest Man Alive um, by The Onion, which is a satire news outlet, and he thought it was true. And uh, so there's a picture of him uh, being reported by CNN uh, telling him that he had fallen for this fake satire news. Uh, the Ayatollah in uh, Iran, Ali Khamimi, has also fallen victim to uh, various fake news satire outlets as well. But I love reading uh, The Onion, uh, The Babylon Bee, or The Duffel Blog. That's something that military people see in our satire news as well. And sometimes when I had, uh, when I had Facebook, I would post some of this satire news out there, and inevitably somebody would always fall for it and be like, I can't believe that's true. That, uh, that just makes me so angry. And I'm like, ah, time out, man. That's totally false. You know, but somebody, it, it's easy to fall for things, and it's easy to be duped into believing something, especially when it comes from a supposedly credible source. Right, but now we look at all of the sources of which we gather our information, social media, various news outlets. How do we know what is true? Maybe we can hear a truism, but is that overall true? In fact, Pastor John and I sometimes get uh, a credibility check. You know, maybe some of the things that we preach 
um, you might have a problem with or something that you have grown up believing and saying, well, you know, Pastor John, Pastor Jeremy, they believe this. But I can go back to my own resources here and listen to this uh, particular preacher on uh, their podcast or their, their worship service, and that backs up what I believe. So, you know, we, we get that too. A couple of years ago, um, well, it was three years ago in October, we were going through the solas, okay? You remember in 1517, uh, there was the Protestant Reformation, and three years ago in the year 2017 was 500 years later, and so we were doing a sermon series on the five solas, and Jeff Houston, a member of our congregation, uh, was preaching on the fact that the Protestant Reformation, when that happened, it was like a little rock chip in your windshield, but left uh, unchecked and left uh, to all these things that created and it splintered and it fractured into today we have over 25,000 different Protestant denominations in the world today, all claiming to have a particular hold on a truth, okay? But what is truth? Today we're going to look at how do we test and discern what true is, and we're going to move into how to apply that truth in our lives, Truth cannot change. Truth is not dependent on emotions. It is 100% provable. Truth does not care about your feelings, as one news commentator likes to suggest. Truth is immovable. It cannot change over time. It cannot be interpreted different ways. Truth is truth no matter what. And yet we are seeing the more, uh, more ideas out there being presented as in truth is relative. There is no 100% truth. In fact, I'm embarrassed to say this. When I was in seminary, I was having a conversation with an individual, and I was just shaking my head, just like, I'm, I was so confused, just thinking, like, what is this person talking about? And then I asked him at the end, I said, do you believe in absolute truth? And they said, no. And I was like, what are you doing in seminary? Like, how, how can you have a foundation on anything if you don't believe in absolute truth? If truth is relative, we can essentially just make up whatever truth we want to suit uh, whatever we want, but that, of course, is very dangerous. So what is truth? We're going to look at the Apostle Paul uh, in his words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we continue our sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians. So we're going to look at starting in verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, "'By this gospel you are saved.'" If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you would have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and then the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brother, of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of them who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That means they died, okay? Then he appeared to James, then all the other apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. So the apostle Paul here is essentially laying out the foundation of the gospel. Number one, you are saved by this gospel and not another gospel, or you would have believed in vain. Number two, Christ died for our sins according to scriptures he was buried he was raised on the third day according to scriptures he appeared to Cephas or that's Peter 
Then he appeared to the 12. Then he appeared to the 500. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to the apostles. And then he appeared to the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul is saying, look guys, if I am telling you something that is not true, you can go and verify this information on your own. You can go talk to these people. Most of them are still alive. Go ahead, Google it. You can go to Snopes. Go to Wiki, okay? Go check it out. Pull out your smartphones. You can go and fact check me. You can go and visit these places. Go talk to them. If I am telling you something that is false, you will, I will be proved wrong. But in fact, there are a bunch of lies out there that would be easy to follow. In fact, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to help fight against those lies. In fact, these letters that were being circulated at the time and the Gospels themselves, people would have been able to see those things and read them for themselves and say, yeah, that's not how it happened. That, that's not at all what took place. This is, this is a total lie. How is this stuff being circulated? And the Gospels and the letters would have been burned or squashed. An investigator, a detective, when they are looking into a potential crime that has been committed or possible wrongdoing, and a group of people were witness to this particular action, and the, they begin their interrogation individually with these people, and at the end of all the interrogation, all the interviews, everyone's story matches up 100% the same. There's no deviation at all. In fact, the same words are being used. Uh, the same descriptor uh, words are being used. There's no change at all. The detective or investigator is going to say, well, they're probably lying or they've gotten their stories together so that everyone knows exactly what to say. And so their testimony is going to be a lot less believable. But a good investigator, a good detective intuitively knows, hey, there's going to be some slight nuances to these perspectives because everyone has their own perspective of what's happened. And so there will be slight variations to people's story, even though the overall message of what they have witnessed will be the same. When these letters, and specifically the Gospels, are being circulated among the people, we can read it today. We can say, well, Matthew says this, but Luke doesn't say that. Mark says that, but then John doesn't say that. John says all this, but then none of the other Gospels say this. Are they true? I mean, wouldn't they all be saying the same thing? And just like I explained with this detective, this, uh, the investigator... This just proves further that the Gospels are in fact true. There are slight variations of these eyewitness accounts. But again, the Apostle Paul is saying, if I am lying about any of this, you can go and fact check me. Go back and look. So now we're going back to Corinth. If we go down to verse 12, it says, but it is preached, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been 
raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those, have all, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all, we are all of people to be most pitied. People in Corinth, why would we be wasting all of our time and effort and energy on something that is completely false? Something that you can go back and fact check and you can disprove if it's a lie. Why would we be wasting so much of our own time? Don't you think we'd have better things to do than being chased by wild beasts in Ephesus? Don't you think it would be great um, to, to dodge death day in and day out that there are people trying to kill us because of this gospel? Don't you think we'd have something better to do with our life if this were false? Look, this is exciting. We have come to the truth. We have come to accept the truth. This is amazing. And what happens to you when you find out something amazing for the first time? You want to share about it, right? And that is what was going on with these people. They were excited. They got to experience it. Look, my life has changed. Their lives have changed. This is true. We can't shut up about it. So no joke, 2020, here's something that I learned for the first time. Those little red Solo cups that you buy in stores, there's like rings around those, and each one signifies a different measurement for alcohol. I had no idea. I'm just like 2020. The first one is for 1.5 ounces of liquor. The next one is for 5 ounces of wine. The next one is for 12 ounces of beer. I had no idea that those lines meant anything. Okay, it's a bad example. It's a bad example. Screwdrivers, the, the flat head and Phillips head, and the reason why the handles are kinked and they're not smooth all the way is so that you can put a wrench against them and, and turn it. I had no idea. I was like, man, mind blown. I didn't know that peanuts were not actually nuts. They're legumes. They're like beans. So I was like, well, if you have a nut allergy, why are you allergic to peanuts? You know, that doesn't make any sense. But it's true. Maybe you all knew that. Probably everybody here knew those fun facts. Totally worthless facts. Okay. But did you know that Scotland's national animal is the unicorn? That is true. You can look it up. All right. Skipping down to verse 20 through 28, let us continue. The Apostle Paul says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself or put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that Christ may be all in all. The Apostle Paul is encouraging the people, look, there is truly life after death. This is a thing. You can have a resurrected life. There, this life here on this earth is not it. There is another life. 
This is the good news. We were all under the curse of sin under Adam through one man, and then sin entered through this one man. And so now sin has been atoned for through this one man, Jesus Christ. And we are extremely grateful that this sin now, we are able to have faith and have trust and have eternal life. Now, to get back at Pastor John, I was going to have him cover these next few verses. You, you always wonder why I always get stuck with the controversial sermons and, and the ones of like the tricky uh, biblical interpretation right it always seems to fall on my shoulder but then pastor john talked about head coverings for women so i was like okay we'll let him off the hook on this one then so we're going to look at starting in verse 29 if there is no resurrection what will those do who are baptized for the dead if the dead are not raised at all why are people baptized for them as for us why do we endanger ourselves every hour i face death every day Yes, just surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, well, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. To summarize this passage, because you come across this, whoa, what is this baptism of the dead thing? What's going on here? Paul's message here presupposes that baptisms for the dead had been occurring in Corinth uh, while he is writing this letter. So Paul isn't saying, hey, you people in the church who are doing this are inferring that this is a practice within Christians. He is just using what is happening within the secular culture in Corinth to prove his own point. Mormon theology, however, uses this very verse to say when you convert to Mormonism, you name a dead relative, someone who has not given their life to the Mormon Jesus, and I, and I say that specifically, the Mormon Jesus. If you have not given your life to this Mormon Jesus, you can be baptized for that dead relative, and that dead relative now has an opportunity to go to heaven because of your faith. But that's not at all what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage. He is using a very secular practice of people who are being baptized for the dead to further on his point. He is using a secular um, belief to show, look, guys, if the resurrection doesn't happen, if this is all there is to life, why are people just getting baptized for the dead if this doesn't happen? Why are so many people convinced that there is life after death if there is no resurrection? So he's saying because there is a resurrection, because intuitively people know and believe and want to hold on to the fact that there is life after death, you can have life after death but only through this person, Jesus Christ. Christ's resurrection is so compelling to the apostle Paul and the other Christians that they are facing death day in and day out to proclaim this truth. And he's like, if this was a lie, if this is false, if this is all there is to life, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die, there's nothing else. Why would I even be taking so much time to spend with you if this is all there was? I want to close with a few things. Typically when I say that, it means there's about two or three minutes left in the sermon, but this time there's going to be about eight. All right, so hold on with me. I want to close with this. Um, our director of student ministries, Kelly Morrow, in her uh, Bible study, again, uh, was talking with these girls about how to discern truth. How do we discern a true uh, teacher from a false teacher? She says, an ungodly teacher 
perverts the grace of God to sensuality and then to deny our only master and Lord. And we get that from Jude chapter 4. Jesus Christ uh, furthers on this point in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17 verses 15 through 20. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothes, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And he says, but by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will be able to recognize them. Then the Apostle Paul concludes with verse 33 through 34. There's still another whole half of chapter 15 that Pastor John's going to cover next week. He says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For those of, there are some of you who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. If you hang out with someone long enough, or you are exposed to something long enough over and over and over again, inundated with a particular message over and over again, you might not even realize what you are being taught or what you are following is actually a lie. You might not even be able to determine or discern whether or not you are ingesting good food or if you are ingesting poison. Maybe you just go along and drink the Kool-Aid like everybody else and you just accept this to be true. Drinking the Kool-Aid. Does anybody know where that idiom comes from? It's actually an idiom. Drinking the Kool-Aid means that you just go along with what everybody else is doing and you just accept it as God's honest truth and you just follow along blindly and you just accept it no matter what. On November 18th, 1978, and yes, I was alive then, there were over 900 members of this American cult called the People's Temple. And they had a, a big following in Indiana. And after uh, a few years, this large following moved to California, the People's Temple. And their leader, Jim Jones, was this charismatic, incredible uh, preacher and, and had claimed to have revelations from God. And, and all these followers were continuing to flock to Jim Jones because of his charismatic attitude. And he just seemed so passionate. And, and because of what he was preaching, it must have been true because... He was doing something that was completely revolutionary to his time. In the 50s and 60s, obviously, there was a lot of race, uh, racism and, and, and racial unrest in the country, and yet he was bringing all kinds of people from diverse backgrounds together, worshiping and, and praising and, and doing all these acts of charitable things together. And he was saying, look, these are all good things. Look, if I'm lying, why is all this stuff working? There were some complaints, maybe some people uh, outside. There was claiming that there was abuse going on in the cult. So he's like, hey, you know what? We're just going to start our own community, our utopian community down in Jonestown in South America. And so he and a thousand, he had a thousand people, about over 900 people came down to South America with him and they established this new community. It was supposedly one of these great utopian societies and one of the congressmen from California had heard about this, uh, Representative Leo Ryan. He had went to Jonestown along with some of the family members whose family members were in uh, this following to try to rescue them, to try to pull them out. 
And then there was photographers and news outlets that went with them. There was about 12 people that went on this delegation. So they went in and they were viewing all these people. They were interviewing, they were videoing and taking pictures. And while they were walking among the people, one of them slips them a note and it says, you've got to help me. You've got to get me out of here. And so they, they try to rescue a few of the members. They drive them to the airstrip. They're about to board the plane, and they are followed by some of the guards, and they are shot down and murdered right there on the airstrip before being able to leave. Representative Leo Ryan was killed along with four others. Then Jim Jones said to all of his followers, look, now is the time, now is this revelation. We must fulfill this great thing. We must all drink this punch together, the Kool-Aid, laced with cyanide, and 900 people were killed that day. Since that point in 1978, there has never been a mass death of that size of U.S. citizens until September 11th, 2001. All because they were following something they seemed to hold on to that was true, was hopeful, was promising them something, but it was all a lie. And that's why you hear the idiom drinking the Kool-Aid, going along with it blindly. We look at the Apostle Paul and his words to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 through 5, and I think these words completely ring true today. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge the duties of your ministry. Bad company corrupts good character. One of the questions I like to ask my students uh, at my last church in Minnesota, I said, look, the people that you hang out with, are you being more influenced by them or are you being more of an influence in their lives? Same question I'll ask all of you. Sometimes when they couldn't answer, the, if they knew, if they were being influenced, being, uh, instead of being more of an influencer, it's typically because they were being the one influenced more. And so we ask those questions to ourselves today. Are we being influenced by those in the world around us or are we being the influencers on behalf of Christ? The Apostle Paul was concerned with what was going on in Corinth. Thus we have this second letter. The Apostle Paul writes later in chapter 11, verse three through four, he says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit than the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. He's like, you guys are not seemingly like you're holding on to the truth at all. It seems like you're being swayed left and right by what's being thrown at you from this world. Don't be deceived. You have to know the truth. You have to hold on to the truth at all costs. You have to discern the truth from lies. And so how do we do that today? Number one, we pray. 
We pray and we ask the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit would fill our minds and our hearts to give us discernment in all that we come across. Number two, other believers who demonstrate that they have a good relationship with Jesus, are those other believers? Are, can we go to them and ask them, hey, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about this in this particular situation and this information that I've come across? Is this true? Can we hold on to it? Would you pray with me? Would you pray individually for me to help discern this truth? We rely on the Holy Spirit again for the direction within our community. Number two, is it backed up in God's words? Not just uh, little nuanced uh, verses throughout the Bible where we can kind of pick and choose to defend whatever it is our beliefs are. We can do that all day long. But is what the biblical message also in its context pointing towards this truth as well? Can it be backed up by God's words? We ask the Holy Spirit to give us direction as we read God's word. Holy Spirit, would you open my eyes and my heart to receiving these words that I'm about to receive, your revelation to humans through the Bible. Lastly, is what you are following, is it edifying Christ? Is it building up the body of Christ? Is it encouraging and edifying other believers around you? Does this help lead you to a deeper relationship with Jesus? All of them have to be a yes. If one of them is, if you just say the last one, well, does this make me feel like I'm getting closer to Jesus? And you answer yes, oh, well, then it's got to be true. Is that what the Holy Spirit's telling you? Is that what God's Word is telling you? Is that what other believers in the community who are committed Christians living their lives, are they saying the same thing? They've got to all be true. Again, facts don't care about your feelings so be careful about your feelings. Be careful about how our emotions get stirred up, especially with all the things that we are being inundated with today. We must recognize the truth for what truth is, hold on to that truth, challenge the lies that we see, and we go to God's word, the Holy Spirit, fellow believers, is this edifying the body of Christ? And is this helping or hurting my relationship with Christ? Let's pray. God, in your infinite wisdom, love, grace, and mercy, we recognize that we screw up all the time, that we sometimes have fallen uh, to lies too simply. Sometimes we have accepted lies about ourselves, about what Satan wants us to believe about us, versus what you want us to believe about ourselves. God, you care for us. You have given us new life. We can hold on to the truth. You have revealed your truth through the Bible and you continue speaking through your people and through your word. So help us as we kind of navigate what is going on in this world. Help us to proclaim the truth, the true gospel, that there is life after death and that life can be transformed here on earth. That it is only through you, Jesus Christ, that anything is possible on this earth and not through any other human initiative but it is only through you. Help us to love others who disagree with us and help us to love and present the truth and grace as well. Amen.